All right, good morning again. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can make your way to Romans chapter 4. Being so young of a church, it's not often that I get taken back because there's really not much history to be taken back to, but it, the way y'all are sitting today reminds me of like our first couple months because everyone was always sitting right here, so it's awesome. So it's like, man, I used to just turn, so it's good. So I'm not going to ignore you, but if I default, sorry, but um, it's just, it's exciting to see when you look back on the, the three years that we've had of gospel ministry, God's faithfulness continually showing up, continually being there to be seen. And what's amazing is that, that every time we open his word, we're reminded of that same faithfulness. That every time we read his truth, we're reminded that God is a God that's going to do what he says he's going to do. That, that we can look back at the cross and see that he accomplished the promises that those in the Old Testament look forward to. And so it's, it, we're, we're kind of in that type of passage today. And so I'm just going to read it first so we can just get right in. But we're in Romans chapter 4. It's the second week of our second series through Romans. And we divided it into five different series. We're on the second one. This is the second week in that. So we're in Romans chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. And then um, we will continue forward. So in Romans chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also spoke of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. And blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And this blessing then only, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Before, was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that, the un, so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who have also walked in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So if you will pray with me to ask the Spirit to guide us through our time today. Father God, we thank you that we can open your truth. God, that we don't have to wonder how you've called us to live. We don't have to wonder how you work in our lives, but you have given us your truth so that we might study it, we might know it, we might understand it through your Spirit's work in our lives. God, I just pray that today that the truth of your word would be evident, that our hearts would be changed God, that our lives would be different and that people would see your work in us and they too would bring glory to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. And so as we're looking at this idea of faith and Abraham being justified by faith, Abraham believing God, we, we have to understand, well, what's the point in this? If we look at something in here, what, how does that then bring it to our lives? How do we bring this forward to our context, our context today? And, and when we're looking at that, what the, when I was studying through this, the thing that stepped out to me was verse 2. We're talking about Abraham being justified by our works, but he has something to boast about, but not in God. And it made me think about the culture that we live in, because if we're honest, most of the time, we're all guilty of boasting in ourselves, right? We, we brag about our accomplishments. We point stuff. And I don't know if that's, I think it's just represented in social media. I think it's the heart condition. We just do it in a media platform now so more people can hear our boasting, right? Because that's what we do, right? We, and, and, and not all of that's bad. I don't want to say that, that every time you, you point to, look what's happened, that, that's not, in a sense, a negative boasting, but it so often is, right? You can, you can celebrate in a good way. You can celebrate. I feel like that I've been doing that this weekend as, as our kids were finishing up soccer, and it's like, man, this is great accomplishments. And I'm like, but is that going too far? And I actually got to talk to Keaton about that last night. Like, there's, if, if you're boasting in your ability and only success, I feel like that you're, you're being drawn to just look at me. But if you're boasting in your ability in failure, there's a, oftentimes it's, it's this aspect that you're boasting that you have been given that ability. Right? And so there's, there's subtle ways. And boasting's not this new idea because if you look throughout Scripture, there's references of boasting. That's how they would go to war, right? They, they would go to war by saying, they would they'd start boasting, right? The, the general or the leader would get out. He'd get everyone built up and excited by boasting. Look what we're going to do to the enemy so that they would then charge knowing that most of them would face death, right? How do you get people to face certain death? Well, you build them up and you boast about how you're going to destroy the enemy and then they all cheer and they roar and they scream down the field, right? You've seen, I think, a brave heart. I don't know. That's not as old, but that's what I feel like, right? I feel like he was that guy. He's boasting about this is what's going to happen and they would do it, right? There, you can see some of this in Scripture. In, in the book of Nahum, there's a verse that says, look at your troops, they're all women, right? And I'm like, that God's telling them, hey, your army's not fit to fight. There's, there's nothing you can stand up. And, but it's this idea that you're, you're building yourself up, you're boasting, but so often our boasting leads us to consider the gift instead of the giver. That so often we boast in our ability instead of boasting in the one that's given us that ability. And it's such a subtle turn that we often don't notice it, but when we look at this passage today, we see the antidote of that. Because so often we, we boast in, in our athleticism, our ability, but not in the one that gave us that, right? You see people boast in their beauty, but not the one that forged them in the creation of him, right? We see people boast in their, their finances and their money, but not the one that was blessed to give them that. And, and oftentimes, this might help you attach it to your life, oftentimes it's done in a joking manner, right? Oh, well, I can't believe I'm this beautiful, right? Have you ever heard someone say, yeah, they're acting like they can't believe it, but they're believing it, right? They're like, look at me, right? That's what we do, right? And there's no way I could do that, right? But it's this, it's almost this humble brag, if you will, but it's this boasting idea that we have to understand that our heart constantly goes to that. But we see the antidote here quickly when we look at what Paul quotes in verse 3. When Paul quotes Genesis 15 and verse 3, we see that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, 
And I believe if we look at that specific quote, that verse, and then in the context of the passage that we just read, that we'll see the antidote to our boasting. We'll see why that we shouldn't boast, or better yet, not the why we shouldn't boast, but a true and correct realization of who we're boasting in. And so that's what, that's what my goal today is, is to, to look through that statement. There's three aspects of that that I think what brings this passage to life for us, and so that's what we're going to spend our time doing. So the first part of this is that Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. And so when Paul takes them back to Abraham, remember, he's writing to the Roman church, a collection of Jewish, Gentile, Christians. And so he's taking these Jewish readers back to the beginning. Because if you look and if you know what's happened, if you've been with us, you know what happens. Or if you know Romans, chapter 2, in the first part of chapter 3, he just destroyed the Jewish identity, right? He just completely told them, you're worthless. Everything that you've boasted in has been nothing, that you're just like the Gentiles. And so now he kind of starts building them back up. He's repairing the identity he's crushed, but he's doing it in a correct way. And so he takes them all the way back to Abraham because Abraham was everything for them, right? Abraham was the one. And so when we look at this idea that Abraham believed God, it then can understand how we too can see ourselves in that same light. And so when it says that Abraham believed God, what we're being drawn back to again for the second week is this idea that we're justified by faith. That it's justification, but it's justified by faith. But what type of belief is he talking about? Because it's critical to define all those things or we're going to be left believing something differently. It's not a belief, uh, it's, not, it's not a belief that's a surface level. Right? It's not surface, surface level belief. It's not a mere acknowledgement that God exists. It's a deep trust and confidence in God. So when it says that Abraham believed God, it's Abraham trusted God, it's Abraham had confidence that God was going to do all that he was promising to do. It's not just, okay, God exists. It's no, God exists, yes, but I absolutely trust and have the utmost confidence that he's going to accomplish what he did, what he's promised. And so belief, when we look at this idea of belief and we try and we pull that back to ourselves, it has to be more than a mere acknowledgement. It has to be a trusting of God. It has to be a confidence in God that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. Or for us looking back, that he's already done what he's promised. It's this belief that God is going to do that. Abraham had confidence that God would. We can look back and have confidence that on the cross, God did do what he said. It's a belief that's deeper. And so often, we don't have that type of magnitude of belief, right? Everything that, that we're, we're sold these days, everything, it's just a surface level. Make it fit, make it feel good. If you get too attached, though, it might go bad. And so we never want to dive deep into relationships, right? If people truly know us, then they want to be with me, so we stay surface level. But you can't actually know someone unless you have a deep, intimate relationship with them. And it takes trusting them. It takes confidence in them to do that. And the same is true with God. And so ask yourself, do you actually believe God? Belief and a trust and a confidence that everything that he said he was going to do, he's done in Christ on the cross. Do you actually believe that? Because how you answer that determines everything else of your life. If you truly believe God, you're going to have the confidence to actually approach him in prayer. If you don't trust him, you're not going to pray because why pray to someone that I'm not confident in? You're not going to go to him in those times because you don't actually believe and trust who he is. 
If you believe in God, then you're going to study your Bible. You're going to go to his word. You're going to trust that I can go to his word. I can find his truth, and I'm confident in it. But if you don't trust God, if you don't believe God, you're not going to go to his word. You're going to try to find all these other substitutes that sound similar, that sound good, but you're not going back to the truth. It's going to determine how you follow his commands. Are you going to obey what he says when you actually get in there? Not if you don't believe God. Not if you don't trust him. Not if you don't have confidence in him. Are you going to serve his body? No. You're not going to, you're not going to be involved. You're just going to kind of hit or miss in church and you're just going to go. You don't have confidence in him, so why should I put myself out there? And it's certainly not going to go to the ultimate where you're preaching the gospel and you're proclaiming it. Because how can you proclaim a gospel of a God that you don't actually trust? And so you have these outward expressions, but there's no internal true trust in him. And so your life is just a facade. And when people actually get to know you, then that facade breaks down and they realize that you're really just a hypocrite, right? And that's what we see happening culturally, if we're, if we're honest. That's where cultural Christianity is starting to go away because it's people don't truly trust and have confidence in God. And so every little outward expression that's not rooted deeply is being driven away once the fire gets put to it. And so we have to realize that if you don't believe God, it's impossible to draw near to him. If you don't have confidence, if you don't trust God, you're not going to draw near to him because there's nothing there for you that you can actually hold true to. You can actually hold on to. Or you put it in a positive way, it's, it's in the notes if you're following along on the app, um, which by the way, there's an app with notes on it, I for, always forget to say that, but... To put it this way, Joe Thorne is a pastor in St. Charles, Illinois. He's another Acts 29 pastor. And he, he says it this way. He says, to draw near to God, you need to stop striving and trust and receive grace. Because if you're going to stop striving, if you're going to stop doing the things that you think are good, it has to be rooted in a trust and a belief that God did what he said he's going to do. Otherwise, you can't rest. Otherwise, you've got to keep going. You cannot draw near to God if you don't believe who he is. And so it says that Abraham believed God. If you believe God, if you have trust and confidence in God, that this is going to change everything. And that's what happens. Belief in God is everything. In the Old Testament, Abraham believed God. He was looking forward to a time when the promise that God has given was going to be accomplished. We in the New Testament age look back to the cross to the point to where God accomplished all that he said. Belief in God's word is absolutely critical for both perspectives. If you don't believe God, then the cross is meaningless to you. If you don't have confidence in him, then it's meaningless to you. You have to believe. And so then what it does is it points to you. Are you boasting in yourself? Do you easily point at your benefits, at your good works, at what you do? Because if you do, then you're not believing God. You're, you might acknowledge him, but you're resting on yourself. If we truly have confidence, there's no way that we can boast in ourselves because we realize there's nothing that we brought to this. Right? If you truly trust God and you believe his word and you've studied it because you know him, then you realize that we bring nothing but sin. And how many of us want to celebrate our failures, right? Do you ever see that on Facebook? Do you ever see everyone? Man, I completely screwed that up. I'm an idiot, right? No one ever says that, right? We don't want to celebrate in our failure, but that's essentially what we're doing. If we're not trusting God, we're celebrating in our sinful acts 
and our failures, even though we try to put a glossy coat on it. We have to trust God. We have to be confident in Him. And then when we do, you'll start seeing the boast shifting towards Him. You'll start seeing our trust and our confidence, not in ourselves, but in Him, which gives you trust and confidence. It gives you the ability to continue because you realize it's not me. It's not me. You have to believe God. It's the first step in this antidote to to reposition our boasting or our affections is to believe God. Do you? When everyone's away and you actually find a moment to unplug, if you do, which you should, if you ever have your phone somewhere else and you just sit quiet, do you actually trust God? Do you believe him? Do you believe that on the cross everything was paid for? That everything, wasn't partially, everything was. Because if you can say that honestly, it changes the trajectory of your life. And that leads us to the next point because most of the time if we plug, unplug and we get ourselves that way, we, we don't understand how it was counted to us, right? A lot of times when people aren't trusting or they lack a belief in God, they don't have confidence in God, it's because they misunderstand how salvation is applied to your life. It's a misunderstanding of salvation being applied to the life of the one who believes. Because we have caught up in our mind that you just got to keep working harder. But if you're keeping up and you're working harder, you forget the fact that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him. His belief was counted to him. His faith was counted to him as righteousness. It was counted to him. And when we look at that word, when we look at that idea, it's talking about it's being credited to him. Right? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him. It was credited to him. It was given to him. It was placed in his account simply by believing. And honestly, if we just stop there, we can live, leave with hope. Right? We can leave with hope that it was counted to him. Believing, trusting, having confidence in God was counted to him. It was given to him. That was what it was. It was the belief that was counted to him. That leaves us to hope, right? Because of his belief, Abraham was considered righteousness. It was his belief that did it. It wasn't his works, right? And so when we look at that, we can realize that we need to stop trying and start resting. We need to stop pursuing these things and start resting in the fact that his belief was counted to him as righteous. He was considered righteous for his belief, his trust and his confidence that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And that's what's so amazing when we look at this idea. And actually, people look at this idea of justification or that he was declared righteous. To be justified is to be declared not guilty, innocent. And as being not guilty or innocent, then you are righteous in that term. But theologians talk about it in a certain way. I wanted to bring a couple of these up because I think it builds the point well. R.C. Sproul is the one that that I got this from. He talks about it in two ways. One is forensic justification. And if you think of forensics, you think of like legal, right? I don't know why I think CSI, but I'm like, I hate doing that because I don't even like that show. But that's what, right? You think of forensics, but it's this legal idea, right? It's this legal declaration. And last week we talked about that it was a free, that it was freely justified, that we're freely justified in Christ. So it's this legal justification, this legal declaration, declared not innocent that God does for us. It's this forensic justification. But with R.C. Sproul, he talks about another way to look at it and talks about synthetic justification. 
So synthetic is not natural. It's not within us. So it's something that's added to us. And I like that better when we see that Abraham, it was counted to him. It's that synthetic. It's something apart from you. It's not naturally there. It's a synthetic thing to you. So justification is nothing that we can do by our own. It's added to us. It's credited to us. And so when we look at that, we realize that, that when God looks upon a person who believes or trusts in Christ, he doesn't see their merits, but he sees the merits of Christ. Or to quote R.C. Sproul, I put it in the notes, it says that when God looks on a person who is trusted in Christ, he sees the unrighteous person covered in Christ's righteousness. In the righteousness of Christ, God sees that person. Why? Because they trust in him. Because they believe him and it's counted to him. And if we look at this passage again, if you look at verse 4 and 5, we realize that, that Paul gives us a practical, practical understanding of this. It says in verse 4, Now the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as due. Right? And so what Paul's saying there is that if Abraham would have been just, if, if it would have been by works, the justification that he was receiving, the righteousness that it was credited to him, wasn't because of God's grace, it was because of his merits by doing it. Right? You, you work, you expect to be paid. That's, that's just, that's right. And so if it was based on works, it's not a grace of God, it's a, it's a duty of God. And if God's going to be just, it's by works, he has to give that to you. But in verse 5, he clarifies and he says, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who, is justi- who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted. And so he's saying it's not based on working. It's not this works that you're just given your due because you've done what you're supposed to. He's knowing it's your faith that credits you as righteousness. But how many times do we not think that way, right? How many times do we think, I have to just do it? Because we've all been taught that if you just be a little bit better, then God might love you more. Right? If you just work a little bit harder, then maybe he would have blessed you more than that other person, right? That's what, that's what we're taught. That's what people say about God because they've missed the blessing, which we'll get to in a second. But then Paul even goes back to David. If you look at verse 7 and 8, Blessed are the ones whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. What an amazing declaration, right? That it's not based on your works. And blessed is the person who God's not going to count their sin against them. He's going to give them righteousness in Christ. David's looking forward to the point where God's not going to count sin against someone. And what we have on display in this counted to him idea of Abraham's righteousness is that this idea of grace versus merit. It's either an act of God's grace that we're justified, that we're declared righteous, or it's our merit. It can't be both. They both can't exist together. You can't work for your salvation and it be an act of grace. Because if you're working for your salvation, just like verse 4 says, it's what's due you. It's a payment. It's what you've earned. But if it's by grace, then there's nothing you can do. So stop. Start trusting that God did what he said he was going to do. And that frees you if you think about it, right? So to believe God is to trust in Christ and to know that his righteousness has been imputed into you. We talked about it last week, the double imputation on the cross, that our sin is imputed, put into Christ, and that his righteousness is imputed to us. It's this total imputation. It happens over one time. It's not this continual giving and declaring but it's totally imputed into us upon belief in Christ that God did what he said he's going to do on the cross. 
So when we look at that idea, just stop working, right? Doesn't that free you? It frees me. It's like, man, I don't, have to, I don't have to rest in my failures because I try and I fail. And it seems like the harder you try, the harder you fail, right? It's like you're running faster. I saw a show the other day. The kids were watching a show that I think is terrible, not terrible bad, just it's annoying, right? And, and there was a person that were trying to run through a fake door and they just hit it. And it just bounced back. And so they think, oh, let me just run faster, right? Well, that's what our trying does, right? If you try to run faster, if you try to do it harder, you just fall harder. It just hurts more, right? It does. It's like you're running to a wall. I have a kid that, that was just running to the wall in the gym. I don't know what's going on. He just ran to the wall. And I'm like, it hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, so stop, <laughs> right? But we, how many times do you do that? How many times do you keep trying to gain something that you can't gain and every time it hurts more and more, but you don't realize that you're just running into a wall for no reason. Just trust that God did what he said he's going to do. Look at the cross of Christ and see that he acted on your behalf, not because you deserved it, because it was an act of grace. You didn't merit that. The only thing we would have merited was God's wrath. Yet on the cross, we see grace poured out that we didn't deserve. So stop working, stop doubting. And then stop boasting in yourself because you didn't do anything to get it, right? And we look at this, that Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, then that's where we realize, wait a second, I need to shut up, right? This is three weeks that's come up again. Maybe God's telling me something too. Like, just quit talking. Quit trying to boast in yourself because you're not doing anything. You didn't do anything to get it. That's why Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 1, right, says if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. That's what this is pointing to. If we have to boast, if we must boast, let's boast in the Lord because he's the one that did it all. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him. The belief, the faith, being confident, knowing that he could trust God to do what he said he was going to do is what got him there. And it was counted, what? As righteousness. And that's where we see, right? And, and if you keep reading the passage, if you get past the quote of David, in, in verse 9 it says, Is this blessing only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised. So what Paul's, the next logical thing is, okay, so if there's this justification, if we're justified, well, who's it apply to? Because you're using Abraham. He's the father of Jews, right? So who's the blessing for? But I think for us, it's important to go back one more step and say, what is the blessing? Because if we're honest, and if we look at it, I believe you'll agree with me that, that we've forgotten, and we'll say Western Christianity, I don't think it's just an American thing, just Western civilization. We've forgotten what the blessing of God actually is. We've been so blessed that we've replaced what the true blessing is with what the figments of it are now. The blessing of God, what we receive, this thing, is the righteousness of Christ. That's it. Our, we're, we are blessed and we get the blessing of God because we have the righteousness of Christ. It's not about our life here. It's about righteousness that we don't deserve, that we've been given because of what was done on the cross. It's not about prosperity. It's not about these things. Although we are blessed, those are benefits, but ultimately it's the righteousness of Christ that's the blessing of God because we don't deserve it yet he extended grace to us. And so when we look at that, that Abraham believed God and was 
counted to him as righteousness. What that statement's saying, it says in Genesis 15, what Moses is writing to Israel, he's saying that no, the ultimate blessing was given to Abraham because he believed God was going to do what he promised to do. And the same is true for us. That it's, we receive that blessing, the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us on the cross when God sees us covered in the righteousness of Christ. And that's what's amazing about what Paul's saying here is that because then he doesn't keep it within the Jewish system. He makes it everything. So what he's doing is he's really taking the end of chapter 1, 2, and the first part of 3 and combining them all and saying, hey, you are all equally sinful. You are all equally under judgment. Your problem was the sin that you brought, whether it was in lawlessness or not keeping the law that you said, that you had. And now he's saying, but wait. All of you are under Abraham by faith. That all of you can be counted righteousness if you would just simply believe and trust in him. That it's everyone. So Abraham's not the father of the Jews. He's the father of all who are justified by faith. And we see that when we look at the idea that Abraham believed prior to the sign of circumcision. Right? And, and a lot of times we don't like talking about that because we just don't like to... But the sign of circumcision was a seal. It was the sign of the covenant, but it happened after Abraham believed God. If I remember correctly, it's like 15, 14, 15 years after Abraham believed God and it was counted as righteous, did he actually get the sign of the covenant? And what Paul's saying there is the outward symbol doesn't mean that you're righteousness. It's showing that you are in Christ. It's showing that you are. And so when we look at that, we realize that we can't boast in anything because even anything that we have externally all of that happens after the fact so you're not saved by your works but your saving faith your trust in God is going to create works but that's not what saves you it's going to create you being on mission but it's prior salvation's prior to any of that we have to remember that and the reason we don't like that is because that takes away all of our ability to boast right Isaiah 64 says that all of our righteousness, all of our good deeds are like filthy rags. And if we're honest, that just makes us mad because then we can't boast in anything. What are you saying, my good deeds? Yeah, your good deeds are tainted by sin because we have a sinful heart that's drawn that way. We're covered in Christ's righteousness, but it doesn't mean that we're not sinners. When I was in college, I was in a in a Bible study, and we were going through this. I had a good friend of mine that was teaching this. I actually got to perform his wedding this summer. is a great time. He's just been a solid friend, and he was teaching about this, right? And he's teaching that, that our deeds are like filthy rags. And this was the first time that I've ever experienced anyone just flatly, flat out contradict the Bible. Because we had another friend that said that I, I refuse to look at myself that way. He said I can't look at myself that there's no way that my good deeds are like filthy rags. But what was happening is that his, he didn't understand who he actually was. Right? And I remember looking, thinking, pretty sure that's what it says. Right? In my mind, I was just thinking, I think you read it correctly. Right? You don't have to go to Greek to realize that. It's probably worse in Greek. If, you, if you've ever thought about that, if you go into the Greek, it's often way more descriptive than we really want it to be. English is pretty pretty bland 
But I remember thinking there, like, that should be a scary place to say that, right? It should be a scary idea to say, no, what God says about me is not right. And honestly, I don't know if he's ever figured that out, but in my mind, if he thinks that he's bringing something to the table, then he's completely missed the point. It doesn't matter what his life looks like. He's not truly trusting in God. He's not believing God because he's thinking, you know what? I'm really not as bad as I actually, as, as, as Scripture says. I think I'm a pretty good guy. And that's a scary place to be. But so often we have people that are in that exact same situation. That because we compartmentalize, we look at other people and think, you know what? I'm on that scale. They're on the scale. I'm clearly better. But God doesn't see us that way. He sees sinners. He sees people in death, in sin, in rebellion. Unless you're in Christ. And so what you have to do then is, is read that statement. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Could you replace your name with Abraham and that statement be true? Could you place your name there, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, counted to you as right? Because if you can't, then, then you need to do some searching and to seek the Lord. Because if you can't, then, and I know that's heavy stuff, and I know that we don't like to talk, but if you can't say that you believed God and your belief alone is what counted, then you're missing the point. And if someone's taught you anything different, then they're not teaching you Scripture, and they really don't love you because they're deceiving you. It's not about what you do. It's about what Christ did. Salvation is prior to anything that you do, so you can stop trying to fix yourself so that you're better to go to the Lord. Or you can stop believing that you're too messed up for him. God, he, he, the whole point is that you are messed up and can't fix yourself. And I hear that all the time when I talk to people about how I invite them to church. I'm like, hey, we're pretty laid back. We're not the crazy people, right? If you just come, it'll be okay. We're, we're pretty cool people, right? We're pretty welcoming, I like to think. It feels like family. But so many times I've heard I'm too messed up for that. I'm like, that's the point. Is you are messed up. That's, that's the whole point of the gospel, is that messed up people can be fixed. So can you put your name there? Believe God is kind of, because what's amazing then is that allows us then to truly boast. And what we do, and the first way we boast in God saving people is through baptism. Right? Have you ever thought of it that way? That we believe that you baptize someone after a true profession of faith because salvation comes prior to any works. And so baptism really is our way of boasting in the Lord and saying, look what he's done. Right? Filthy rags washed clean. We boast in that. And so if you've been to that point, if you, first, if you don't believe God, then you can't go to step two. You have to believe God. You have to understand. You have to see that he actually has your best interest, not because you deserve it, because he loves you. But then there's so many people that I know that have talked about being baptized, but they didn't believe the gospel. So you really weren't baptized in the biblical sense. And so if that's you, if that falls on you, then man, we want to talk because we want to we plan that. We want to baptize. We want to boast in the Lord from what he's done in your life. That's why it's a celebration. That's why we have a baptism celebration. 
Because we're boasting in the Lord. We can finally boast, and it's actually true. It's actually placed in the right place. So if that's you, then let's talk. Let's celebrate. Right? Because that's an amazing thing. And if you look at this passage, if you look at verses 9 through 12, and you see all this talk about when Abraham was declared righteous based on circumcision, uncircumcision, that's where we find the root of our belief that we're going to baptize people prior or after a profession of faith. Because Abraham was declared righteous before the seal. And so we're going to believe God and then have the outward symbol. That's why we believe that. And we're going to boast in the Lord, right? We're going to follow what Paul says, that if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. We do that through baptism. We do that continually pointing people to the gospel so that everything happens through him. Baptism celebrating those filthy rags turning. It's our way to boast in the Lord as an individual and then corporately as a church. And it's so amazing if you've been to one of the ones where we, the, the baptism, I always go back to, we've been doing them in the, in the swimming pool, which right now I wouldn't want to do it because it's really cold, right? But hey, you know, cold water is just as good as regular water because the water is not what happens. But it's amazing to see the people around because we do a public pool. Right? We pay our money. We baptize people. And both times, the last two times that we've done it, I've looked around and everyone stopped. I don't know if you've been there. I don't know if you noticed that. Everyone stops and watched. Right? They're like, what's going on? And then most of them were still Christian enough that they understand what's happening. But they stop and watch. And what an amazing display that we get to boast in the Lord and people realize what's happening. They stop. It's an amazing declaration that this is what's happened. This is death to life, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ did. That we can trust God that he did what he said he was going to do because we've seen Christ on the cross. And that we've seen Christ raised again to bring life. And that ultimately he will return. And so when we understand that and we boast through baptism and boast through what what God has done in our life through Christ, Gospel preaching happens. And when gospel preaching happens, kingdom of God advances because more people realize and more people hear that you are messed up, that you're not as beautiful as you think you are, that you're not as great as you think you are, you're not as special as you think you are or that you're told to be, but you have someone that loves you regardless. And when people hear that, there's nowhere else that that's found but the gospel. And so if we must boast, let's boast in the Lord. Let's preach his gospel. And let's declare that, that we believe God and that belief is what's counted to us as righteousness. It's trust and confidence. Because when we do that, you're free and we find peace and we find hope and security in a world that offers none of that. But our confidence is in the Lord. And so we can face every morning refreshed, energetic, and excited to see how he's going to build his kingdom through our lives. Let's pray. Father God, I just got to thank you that, that we can trace our identity all the way back to Abraham who simply believed you, that who trusted you, who had confidence that you were going to fulfill your promise. 
God, I thank you that, that we have your word, that we can look at your truth and know that the promise that you gave Abraham, you fulfilled on the cross through Jesus Christ, your son, who you sent, though we didn't deserve. God, that you see us as unrighteous people, sinners covered in the righteousness of Christ, that his righteousness has been imputed to us, that we don't need to work to gain it, that we can't gain any more righteousness than what's been given to us in Christ. God, I just pray that there are people here that don't believe you, that haven't placed their trust and their confidence in Christ. God, I pray that they would hear that message, God. They would seek to ask questions. They could learn the gospel. God, I pray that if someone's there that has believed but have never followed in baptism, God, I pray that we would have the opportunity to boast in the Lord by displaying what you've done through baptism. And I just thank you that you loved us so much that you sent us your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.